Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre. On today's episode, we continue our series of conversations on the future of mobility. After talking with Genevieve Pons, a conversation that you can find on episode 86, today I have back on the podcast Matthias Schandin. Matthias is a regular guest that we bring to discuss topic related on making the future come sooner. And that is the case for today, where we're going to get into the topic of autonomous self-driving cars and their importance in the future of human mobility. A quick reminder that Matthias is the co-founder and executive chairman of Warp Foundation, and he has written and thought about this topic extensively, as you will notice during the conversation. And after that, I'll be back to tell you some of the events organized by ELF for the month of September. here with Matthias Schandin. Matthias, thank you so much for coming back to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me back. It's it's always always great talking to you. Mm, and it's good to have you back because you are one of our frequent flyers and uh, you have a lot of miles to redeem here. But yeah. now let's get into the topic, which is the future of mobility. And you have extensive work done in this area. So let's start by establishing a little bit of your bona fides on this topic. You write for uh, Warp News about this. You also held a big seminar in the Swedish parliament in 2016 about self-driving cars. So tell us your experience on this field then. Yeah, so I, I sort of discovered this a few years ago, what was going on. And and uh, I wanted, I realized, okay, this is going to have a have a big impact on, on laws and, and regulations. And uh, I uh, back then I was in, in parliament and I... Uh, I saw that no one is, no one at least from politics is th thinking about this, uh, and it, it could have a huge effect. So I, I invited or I talked to Volvo Cars. Then uh, they were uh, back then they were at the forefront, really understanding. Okay, self-driving cars is going to become a thing. We want to be a leader in that field. So they, uh, I don't know what actually what they do today. Not much in that field. I, I think it's hard for a small car company like that. But. It was kind of amazing, you know, it, that this is just a few years ago. But when you said to people, we're going to talk about self-driving cars, and there was like, what? <laughs> self-driving, <laughs> what? So, okay, uh, uh, is Volvo coming? Oh, okay. Uh, but since then, uh, there's been a lot of talk, um, you know, the hype cycle. Um, so, been a lot of, after that, in 2017, 2018, you know, Self-driving cars are coming now, and then people realize, okay, but this is a really, really hard uh, problem. And then, you know, uh, often things uh, turn the other way. So people say, oh, it's never going to happen. Oh, it's decades away, and still progress is going on all the time. So, and, and suddenly, you know, uh, we will see a lot of self-driving cars on the roads, and people will be like, wow, where did that come from? So I think that's where we are sort of right now. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And we're going to get into all the contemporaneous uh, worries and uh, good news about uh, self-driving cars. But I wanted to challenge you to go a little back in time. You have this fantastic paper called The Self-Driving Future Started with a Competition Nobody Won. This is in Warp News, and we're going to talk about Warp Institute in a minute. And I'm going to put the link to the article on the show notes. So I'm going to challenge you for our listeners to tell us a little bit then, how did we get here? How do we, the challenges to have autonomous cars, digital helped autonomous car, how this all came about? 
Yes, of course, it's been a dream uh, uh, for a long time, but it really kicked off uh, almost 20 years ago now with um, uh, the American Defense Agency, DARPA, that funds a lot of research um, tied to military um, things, of course, uh, but also uh, a lot of civilian uses. Um, so their forebearers called ARPA uh, created ARPANET that it eventually turned into the Internet and to the World Wide Web. So... Uh, DARPA then, um, you know, uh, the U.S. were in Afghanistan and, and Iraq, um, and they realized, they saw the need for cars that could drive themselves, because it's, of course, very dangerous with all those mines and, and other, you know, explosives that were blowing up uh, cars with people in it. So they said, okay, how, how can we... How can we really push this um, forward, this progress forward? Well, let's create a competition um, out of this. Um, and uh, uh, let's give away $1 million to, to a team that could drive, um, uh, drive on the road in the, in the desert uh, for, a few, uh, for a few miles. Um, and, a, and a lot of teams um, showed up, some of them very prominent people working in robotics and, and things like that. So uh, they, they set out a course in in the Moabi Desert. <laughs> the result of the competition was that, yeah, no one won. <laughs> no one finished. <laughs> no one finished it. One team uh, from Carnegie Mellon, uh, they got the furthest, uh, but their car uh, crashed um, and several cars didn't even start. Um, one, uh, one motorcycle it just flipped over uh, at, the, at the starting point, and they realized they, they hadn't turned on uh, the thing that would would balance uh, uh, would balance it. So it was kind of a failure. And, and what do you do uh, with a failure like that? Well, uh, the boss of DARPA said, we're going to run this competition next year, and we're going to double the prize money. So it's $2 million. And uh, then uh, also uh, a team from, from Stanford joined, um, supported by... Uh, by Google or one of the Google uh, or both of the Google um, founders, but Larry Page was the one most interested in this. So then uh, a team won. So uh, a team from Stanford won that competition, and they did a third one. DARPA did a third one. It's called the Urban um, Challenge. So of course, driving on a dirt road in the desert. Well, it's 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 tricky, obviously, but um, uh, the real use case is, of course, if you can drive it, drive it among people. So they did an urban challenge, which was won by the Carnegie Mellon um, team. The winning team then from Stanford got them picked up, um, got supported by by Google. So they did an in-house uh, thing with that, um, driving a car around in, in San Francisco uh, and around there. Um, and it was revealed around 2009, 2010 that Google had this self-driving project. And that eventually turned into what is today known as Waymo, uh, that is still still developing um, this mostly in, in, in Phoenix, but they're also expanding now to other places in America. Mm -hmm. I strongly recommend our listeners to read to your uh, paper. There's just one sentence that it made me laugh out loud about Terramax, and now I'm I'm quoting you. Terramax, a 15-ton monster truck that was tricked by a tumbleweed <laughs> that blew in front. Yeah, <laughs> this is fantastic. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The big, you know, lion in front of the mouse, and it's like. <laughs> I'm too scared. <laughs> All right, yeah. let's get to practical things now. Um, it may sound counterintuitive, not actually not for me as I was reading you. It made sense to me because human nature, sometimes we tend to complicate things. But 
explain to our listeners why there are evidence that self-driving cars actually create less traffic jams. So start start breaking, please start breaking our hearts and telling us, us humans as a drivers, we suck. Yeah, we, we really suck. <laughs> really suck at driving. Um, and uh, sort of the very negative aspect of that is that uh, a lot of people get killed every year in car accidents. Over a million people get killed every year in car accidents. That's way more people killed in car accidents than in wars. Um, so, and of course, several million um, get injured seriously or a little bit injured every year. So if sort of cars emerged today with human drivers, we would never allow it. Uh, it's like, a, this is a death trap. We would never have that, but we're used to it. So, so, uh, so, but, but also when it doesn't lead to accidents, we're, we're, we're pretty bad at driving. For example, in, when there's a lot of traffic, uh, we speed up too fast, brake too close to the car in front of us, uh, and that's that leads to this congestion that it's very you know back and forth all the time. Uh, cars uh, packed together. Everyone who has been driving a car and been in in a traffic jam has experienced. Suddenly, it just disappears, and it was like, what happened? Why are we not la longer standing just almost still? Uh, you know, because it's those kind of movements. And it's, of course, been a ton of research into to this, why this happens and so. But so uh, a self-driving car then is much, much better at this. It The the key thing is that it keeps the distance to the car, the car in front of it. We could do that, but we don't. If you just keep enough distance uh, to the car in front of you, it's much easier to accelerate and deaccelerate um, at a at a in a way that doesn't create problems for the car behind you. And also, of course, cars or computers uh, react immediately to things. They they have 360 vision, um, and and there's no delay. Uh, in in sort of thinking of what to do or being um, you know checking your phone or talking to someone or or fiddling with the radio or whatever you know they're they're 100 percent focused all the time on on driving so they can react immediately so then they've run, done research and just logical to conclude that okay when there's 100 percent self-driving cars they're going to drive perfect all the time but it, it, you can only insert, uh, you know, a few self-driving cars in a crowd of, of human drivers and see that traffic jams um, are not as not as severe uh, because they sort of uh, their way of driving, um, their sort of perfect way of, of driving helps helps the human drivers um, also. So uh, just a few self-driving cars among among human-driven cars uh, actually decreases um, traffic jams. And also put us to shame, I imagine. Instead yeah. of us <laughs> screaming as another driver will look at, at the car with no driver and we think, God, he's driving better than I am. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Actually, there's there's a study, and you, and you mentioned that on, on, your, on your second paper on this topic, which is more self-driving cars means fewer traffic jams, where actually the researchers found that if we insert 7% of self-driving cars on the roads, we can actually double the average speed on a congested road. So just, just those numbers, double the speed if you have a traffic jam, that is already very, very interesting. Now get let's get to a, a little mm. more of a tricky issue and one that I know you're very passionate about. And you just mentioned that there's more than 1 million uh, people dying every year with uh, car crashes, uh, driving by humans. But Matthias, there is 
this resistance, not only of people, but the market and the media about self-driving cars, about autonomous cars. And if one person dies inside an autonomous car, then we heard this, we heard about this like for a month. How can people then be comfortable with technical questions, ethical concerns, security concerns, or even for someone like me that I love driving and I have a lot of pleasure driving. But if you keep telling me, Ricardo, you'll be better served in an autonomous car. Tell us a little bit how we can make this culture shift. It's not longer uh, Waymo that is in, in the lead, it seems like. It seems like it's it's Tesla that is in, in the lead. So we've seen a lot of forces gather uh, against uh, Tesla now. Uh, we see the big traditional car makers in, in Detroit. Uh, they're... Uh, all the all the politicians they've supported over the years um, now they starting investigations into Tesla's autopilot and full self driving and, and and all that and and it's a lot of fud in media and and like you said for for example this was Uber then Uber and Volvo a few years ago when when that self driving car killed a person and it was uh, mostly the fault of the car the car should have recognized. Um, the human, there was also a, a human uh, that should have um, intervened that there wasn't paying attention, and, you know. So it was both computer and, and and a human error. That was that was huge news. Um, and of course, I understand that in one way, something something new, uh, something interesting in in that way. But we must always relate it to how many millions of people die um, over the years in in human driven. Uh, and this is what I see in general about you know when new technology emerges, uh, we see forces trying to stop it and slow it down. But when you do that, you're actually killing people, or you're helping you know keeping the old, old technology that kills people. Uh, if if the old technology was perfect, okay, uh, sure. Uh, and the only way to get to you know perfect or near perfect self-driving cars is to have them drive lots of lots of lots of miles. And I'm fairly certain that the self-driving cars we have out there today, I'm driving a, a Tesla. Uh, it has to sort of, I don't have the full self-driving. Uh, it's hard, uh, it's, it's not worth the money here in the EU and not, of the, not, not a lot of the functions are, are turned on. So I have the sort of, I have the autopilot version. Uh, it helps me drive on, on a lot of roads. So it feels like, you know, you're two drivers, co-drivers um, helping, helping each other. When I have that turned on, my car and I'm driving and the car is driving, that car is safer uh, um, than the other uh, drivers in, in the cars when they, you know, only human drivers. But it also feeds a lot of data into a Tesla's neural network. My car is always, you know, uh, the cameras are on um, and it, it feeds data into that when they, which they feed into the neural network that teaches the cars to, to drive better and better. That's the only way to do this. You can't do this you know, any other way. You can't just have a, a lab somewhere uh, where you do this and then you implement it and, and, and it's perfect. So what, what uh, regulators and others should do is, of course, to make sure that these companies that develop this uh, take every every precaution they, they should, but they should help them along, not try to stop them or start this stupid inquiries the question of i also like uh, i also like driving i enjoy it a lot uh, but for me it's it's many different kind of, of driving sometimes it's sometimes it's 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 fun to fun to drive but 
sort of on the daily commute, um, I would much rather have someone else uh, drive so I can, you know, uh, work or whatever, uh, you know, watch a TV series or listen to a podcast, you know, in that way or, you know, things like that, uh, for example. Mm -hmm. And the thing with self-driving cars, um, when they're, uh, you know, in, in a few years, when they're really good, they are going to help you drive. So you can drive like a maniac, not on the, on a regular road um, like that, but, you know, you can drive um, on many roads. You can drive really fast, and the car will help you uh, make sure you're still safe. Uh, and especially if you drive somewhere on, on a track somewhere, you can drive like a, you know, you're going to drive like, like a god. <laughs> so uh, it's going to be real fun um, to drive cars like, like that. But but in some ways, if you really enjoy driving all the time, yes, you're not going to be able to do that. But I think you're going to find find it enjoyable anyways because there's a lot of other things you can do uh, in the car uh, when it's driving driving you. Yeah, it's not that much fun to be driving on a traffic jam. <laughs> so that part, exactly, I, I totally agree with you with with the stopping and going and going and stopping. I could be doing something way more interesting with my eyes and uh, and my ears. Um, mm. Let me stay here for a little longer because there, I, I saw a Pew research, which also I'm going to link on the show notes, and there is a lot of discussion about some regulations, like, for example, you were just saying having the driver and the car working together so that the driver can take over at any moment, for example, is one of the solutions. There are others like dedicated lanes, which, for my opinion, it doesn't make any sense that I'll, no. I'll ask your no. opinion about this uh, speed controls exclusion areas for example i saw in the pew research that one of the options would be to take autonomous cars for example in areas that are like for example school areas or areas with a lot of movement again is what you're saying a minute ago and that is normal resistance normal suspicious of this new technology that is taking over so what is your opinion on that and we liberals, we always discuss this about too much regulation, too little regulation. So where do you stand on this? I, I don't see um, sort of from a traffic perspective, I don't see that self-driving cars should have any special lanes or zones or, or anything. They should be they should be able to drive everywhere, uh, I think. Of course, um, if you want to buy a car that only can drive in the city, fine, you go ahead if you want a car like, like that or a vehicle like that. Absolutely. But I think uh, what we see being developed, uh, especially from Tesla, is a car that will, you know, be able to drive everywhere uh, on every kind of road uh, in almost any kind of um, condition. And, and I don't think you have to regulate that part. Uh, what you have to regulate is, of course, uh, the safety aspects um, to it. They have to prove uh, that they are safer than human drivers. Um, and, to be allowed to roll out the function. Um, uh, and of course, they, they should be allowed to have um, uh, do testing um, in, in real traffic uh, with human, human, uh, humans presence. Uh, uh, that's the only way to develop this. But I think that they need to prove uh, that. Um, also, there's uh, safety aspects to this. Um, so, uh, so the systems, uh, they use, um, the, for example, fighter jets and you know those kind of uh, those kind of uh, vehicles. It's uh, you have systems that are divided into at least two parts. One part is the supercritical part that can't you can't uh, 
be allowed to hack it um, at all. Uh, that's where you know. Uh, so they keep that separate from from the rest of it. That of course you sh- shouldn't be hacked also, but it, it's not that critical. Uh, so so maybe that's a solution for for self driving cars. Have parts of of, mm. of the car that uh, is super super uh, hard to hack or you know get get into um, that way. That could be also. Uh, Maybe not regulated exactly um, like that, but uh, at least there. Uh, I think often transparency is is very important. At least that um, uh, these companies have to be transparent. At least at least to the authorities. Okay, how does this work uh, behind behind the scenes here? Um, so they have to show that to the regulators, so they can see that this is really really safe. And and if some something occurs, if someone managed to hack big car crashes, things like that, that regulators can really um, check this. Um, and and this is much more doable now, of course, when, when the computer, when there are actual computers in there uh, collecting all the data. So um, that's going to help, help, help make us help, help make us safer. But I, I don't think you need any zoning or things like that. This is quite fascinating. And I, I do follow this a little bit. And sometimes it gets very academic. For example, I know that there are studies about algorithm decision-making on autonomous car regarding ethical questions. If you have to run over one person or two persons, if you have to run over one person, is it better for a young person to be run over or an old person to run over? I know the discussion gets to this point, and the one that you were also mentioning about hacking, I think it should be on the bottom of the list of concerns, but people don't feel that. People feel that the car could be hacked at any time, start driving like a maniac and killing people on the sidewalks. So uh, there's a lot of work to be done here. You want to jump here? Absolutely. First, again, we have to think about what's the what's the situation today? Well, 1.2 million people are getting killed every year. Uh, that's a lot of hacked cars. Uh, you have to hack a lot of cars and kill a lot of people to get to those numbers from, from mm-hmm. the other perspective. That doesn't mean it's okay if if half a million cars are hacked and kills, kills people. Of course not. But that that's not going to happen. Of course, it could happen on an instance here and there. Uh, but then it something since all the all the cars then uh, at least for that car maker is connected uh, you can shut them down and, and you can fix uh, fix the problem uh, via software updates so I, I don't see uh, it, it's something to take very seriously but I uh, like you say I think this is something that people it pops up in people's mind but it, it's a concern that's you know it's it's um, much bigger in their heads than it's going to be ever in 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 reality on the ethical aspect I think that that kind of question is sort of a um, of course there are ethics coming into this but it's sort of that that is a fake uh choice that you okay should i run over one kid or two elder ladies you know what what's the choice here well the choice is to not run over anyone that's that's what they're doing with these cars make sure they they don't kill and hurt anyone and of course in a very very theoretical way uh, world um, you could have that choice but it's it's you know uh, that's not how the car is going to operate choose like that the car is going to try avoid crashing as much as possible and especially much much um, much much earlier than getting into that um, situation mm-hmm. um, and, and a car is going to be much much better at avoiding avoiding that there's already some super interesting clips out there on, on YouTube where you can see 
self-driving cars, Teslas uh, often, um, for example, if since they have this 360 vision and can react immediately, uh, you see uh, you see the car reacting much, much faster to a situation. So for example, there's a, a clip where uh, there's a traffic jam and someone slams in in the car behind and the car, the self-driving car in front of us sees that, okay, this is this is going, we're going to crash here. So that car drives forward to avoid getting hit by the you know the and that's that's superhuman that's not nothing a human could do react so fast to to something like that so uh, that's how self-driving cars can avoid much 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 more um, traffic accidents than than humans you know and again proportionality we have to we humans and we uh, mankind we have to have proportionality in our heads again like you were saying we have so many million people dying from being run over being having accidents uh, being distracted looking at the phone so again the pains of the growth if 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 it happens please let not let everyone lose their minds because of this it's proportionality for example the we're not going to talk about that too but the discussion about the vaccines against covid-19 just drives me insane regarding that but there's one topic and i'm going to ask you just to stay one minute in here because otherwise we'll have another podcast and we maybe we'll do it i'll i'll ask you back which is the effect on human labor i remember being uh, at the movies and watching the movie wolverine and they show the future on that one and which is those big highways those big american highways where you have trucks uh, driving and i lived in america I, i have that very present in my mind those big 18 wheelers just rolling in american uh, roads and who knows like you and i we know america roads for driving in america they're very easy for autonomous cars yeah. to drive so <laughs> the future will be trucks after trucks of just autonomous driving But that has an effect on human psyche, in particular on human labor. And I've been following the discussion in America regarding that. And again, talking about resistances, the resistances are very, very high for that to happen. How do you see the future on that one? Yeah, um, definitely. That that is going to have a big impact on on several uh, uh, labor groups, uh, truck drivers, obviously, taxi drivers, and you know everyone driving uh, things, delivering stuff. Um, it's going to going to get replaced over the coming decade or fifteen years or, or something like that. Uh, that that's definitely going to to happen. Uh, but that is that is of course. Uh, the normal way of things since the industrial revolution we have we develop machines that do uh, human labor uh, those people get replaced that doesn't mean they should end up uh, unemployed and that's for politics and society in general and for themselves of course to um, to make sure that doesn't happen and they you know uh, but but yes um, that is that is something that and that's why I sort of wanted to Uh, start this way back then in Parliament. I wanted to start this discussion early. You have the regulations with the self-driving cars on the roads. That's important, but you also have these other effects coming out of out of this. And and uh, if people think this is never going to happen or haven't happened in 50 years or whatever, and suddenly you see a lot of truck drivers starting losing their jobs, and no one is prepared for that, that then a real problem um, occurs there. Of course. Um, Of course, for them, it's it's a problem no no matter what. But if they don't get any help finding new jobs or training for new jobs, it's going to be even worse. So so we really have to prepare for that. 
uh, now. Uh, this is going to happen fast, I think. True. The good thing is that we already have the experience of doing that on many other fields. Yeah. Uh, Matthias, right. as we uh, get into the end of our time together, and this was a fantastic conversation, I'm going to ask you if you please keep flying back to the Liberal Europe podcast to discuss even more Absolutely. of these fascinating topics. But tell me what some of the work done by Warp Institute in this field, because you, you guys are doing a fantastic job in exactly opening the discussion for this kind of uh, concerns and uh, an optimism also. Yeah, so uh, we what we mainly do um, now is that we uh, follow this uh, topic on, on Warp News, and I, I try to write on this on, on occasion when things happen. And I see sort of Warp Institute, the foundation behind Warp News, um, is uh, the purpose is to uh, the mission is to make the future come sooner and so we then we, we see one one thing that is constantly over and over again happening is when new technology like this emerges there's forces against it um, and it's some of it of course um, uh, have reasonable questions things like that that you have to address problems that they see that you have to address but much of it is just trying to slow down uh, progress so it's then it's our job to uh, try to put this into perspective and show all the benefits by this but also pre preparing to handle problems like we talked about labor that doesn't mean you know uh, that we're going to save millions of lives and and a lot tens of millions of people are not going to get injured in traffic that's a huge benefit but also millions of people are going to get unemployed and that's a problem but a problem we can fix and we should be prepared for that and that's what we try to do at the warp institute show the benefits to make this progress happen happen faster but also be prepared to fix the uh, solve the problems that that can occur this is all very necessary to follow um, you can go to warp institute website that i'm going to put on the show notes and then like matthias saying there's warp news also, you have open articles, you have premium supporters. So all this, it's at the distance of your fingertip. And you definitely should follow Matthias' work and the Warp Institute work because you guys are way ahead in a lot of things that are opening up fantastic possibilities for us humankind. Listen, Matthias, it's always great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for talking to me. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I'm back. Just a reminder that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And now for some of the events organized by Elf for this month of September. On the 29th of September, and this is a Wednesday, starting at 12.30 Central European Time, we have the event Science Not Fiction Hardware. This is going to be a hybrid event with a great panel of speakers like MAP's Dita Sharnazova and Svenja Han, but also Katrin Watson, the head of EU Affairs at Bosch, Amerilis van Hoven, head of the Unit of Digital Transformation on EU, and Vicenzo Conforti, head of Government Relations and Public Affairs for the European Union. As usual, to know more about this event, you just have to go to liberalforum.eu forward slash events. And this is all for now. I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. The Liberal Europe podcast. It's organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament. 
and the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any use that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum.